welcome to today's episode of The Square. We are on location again in New York City, one of my favorite cities, and I'm sitting here with Barry Yanku, who is the design director for the Aviation Studio in New York. Thank you for being here, Barry. Thanks for having me. Um, so tell me a little bit about how you, you're, you're a lifelong New Yorker, right? I am not a lifelong, I, I'm adopted. Adopted. Yeah, I came here after school. Okay. Uh, I really originally wanted to go to Boston. Really? And my sister who lived in the suburbs uh, <laughs> said, come stay with me. And I went looking for a job and I, I became stuck. Never left. Never left. So is, tell me a little bit of how you got into design specifically. Okay, so uh, as a child, uh, my father was in the automobile industry and I think he always wanted to be an architect. Mm -hmm. And so um, dad kept uh, drawing with me and building things with me. And um, eventually, uh, at 17, 18 years old, I decided, well, dad, I'm going to fulfill your dream. That's and awesome. so uh, I went to architecture school. And was it, was it one of those things where you, you know, were so often I hear, especially with architects, so I was good at math, but I always really liked art and this is kind of the perfect intersection of those. Was that kind of your story as well? I think originally, uh, I not think, I know originally, I wanted to be in the performing arts. Really? Yes. Do you think that's had an influence on your design? It's definitely had an influence on my design. How so? So uh, on arrival to New York City, um, I pursued dance. Okay. And I went to all the modern dance studios. And so instead of going to play softball in the afternoon or yeah. after work where all the, everybody went to play softball, I went to the dance studio. That's amazing. Yeah. And um, I spent 10 years doing that. Now, I never performed but um, I was fully invested. So it was obviously something you were passionate about. I was very passionate. And I'll, just a little side story. Uh, my mother loved dance, mm -hmm. and she used to take me ballroom dancing with her really? when I was 18 years old. That's awesome. Yeah. Jumping forward to the design that you do both in a variety of buildings in your background and airports, how is that, that passion for, for dance and, and performance? influenced your design so uh tomorrow in the film uh, in in the forum i'm going to actually give a presentation of how i have used dance and in, dance and integrated into uh my design uh development give me a little preview a preview uh well so there's two primary there they're said to be the two primary arts mm -hmm. uh the first being architecture and the second being dance and uh the way you're, you experience a building where you create designs is you design them from the outside. Uh, dancers do completely the reverse. They create space with their bodies and movement, and so it's two identical perspectives of space from different vantage points. When I was a junior in college, I took an interpretive dance class, oh, wow. which taught me two things. Um, the value of people who can do it well, right and that I definitely am not one of those people. <laughs> I, all six six of me doing interpretive dance was I'm sure funny. There's a video somewhere of it. I'm hoping to find all the copies and burn them. Um, so you go to school, you, you, you fulfill this dream of becoming an architect, you go to school, and then what's your first job? Uh, my, well, I, I want to fill it in with a, sure. a very interesting um, piece. So when I went to school, 
uh, the School of Architecture in Buffalo, where I went to school, was set up by uh, one of the graduates of one of the Bauhaus people. And uh, the Bauhaus was really known as a social experiment opposed to a school of architecture. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that was set up in school was all the arts were connected. And so as a student, we were exposed to dance, uh, uh, literature, and we'd have presentations from people in other departments. And so that was what really triggered me to go and explore dance in a fur you know, further. Um, so the other part of the question was, that you asked. Was first job, first project. First job, first project was um, for a theater mm -hmm. in a... Which is apropos. <laughs> oh, it was very apropos. It was a theater in a Booth Memorial Hospital, which was part of uh, Salvation Army. Mm -hmm. And it was a uh, medical theater. And I started doing healthcare for the first four years of my career. Um, that's where it all started. Really? What, what is it about healthcare that kind of... It wasn't really healthcare. It was, it was at the bottom of the economy. Mm -hmm. So the, I've gone through four major downturns in the economy. I entered the field in a downturn. And so I grabbed a job for uh, a firm that worked with a firm that I wanted to be with. So a lot of firms associate each other. Sure. And so when I came to New York, my goal was to work for the the best, you know, the the star right. architects. And I started at a firm which not everybody knows about, but it's called Davis Brody uh, Bond. And then I went to James Stewart Polshek, which is he was the dean of the School of uh, Architecture at Columbia. From there, I went to a variety of smaller firms. And then I started my teaching. Uh, I started teaching for about six years. And then I landed at uh, Charlie, with Charlie Guathme, who's also a pretty well-known designer. And we did a lot of the Hollywood homes. Mm -hmm. We did homes in Austin. Um, after Mr. Guathme, I landed with uh, Rafael Vignoli, where I did some of these super tall buildings here in New York City. With that kind of diversity of experience, are there projects that really kind of stand out in your mind as yes. milestone projects for you? Milestone projects, definitely. There's quite a few of them, but I will say the ones that were um, turning points yeah. would be Carnegie Hall in uh, Midtown Manhattan. Never heard of it. <laughs> and uh, uh, the Basketball Hall of Fame. Yeah. Uh, then some of the homes uh, in Hollywood that we did for movie stars. Um, that's such a that's such a an interesting jump from these buildings that are meant to be, you know, um, either performance or, or public spaces where people can experience and feel something to something as intimate as a as a home. Even Hollywood homes that are big, it's meant to be lived in and meant to be shared by a much smaller amount of people. Was, yeah. What was that like? I would say the homes were almost like being in a design laboratory because the people that could pay for these extraordinary, I call them jewel boxes, uh, they, they, I guess you could say they, some of them weren't livable. They were extraordinary. Mm -hmm. The amount of, uh, we, we could do one house that would take as long as we're doing, let's say, a terminal. Really? Yeah, it took us four years to do one home. Um, but I think the scale change, mm -hmm. 
mm. of working with you know the inner the insides of a building and the intimacy as you call it yeah and then expanding out to these more civic buildings gave me a full range of experience and uh, I took a lot of that with me to sort of uh, quaff my my career so one of the the biggest turning points was when uh, and this happened many times these these principals would come up to me and tap on my shoulder. He says, I, I got a job just for you. Yeah. And uh, Charlie Gwathby came up to me. He says, okay, I got a job just for you. And it was uh, the Basketball Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. And what made the Basketball Hall of Fame a turning point job is because it was a project, which was a museum, a shopping mall, uh, a city project, a civic project. And what made it extraordinarily interesting was we worked with uh, exhibit designers. And it was the first time you could merge the idea of dance and architecture together because you actually crafted the building from inside out. And it was like you created an experience. You didn't create an envelope first. Mm -hmm. You created, what, what's the idea? Mm -hmm. And so that was uh, a fascinating and certainly a big turning point of thinking about how to design projects. What was that process like? I mean, I imagine collaboration was a big part of it, but it, it's something that is so, it, it almost would sound like it's something that's very um, subjective and relative when you have different designers and different people with different agendas coming in as to what they think that experience should be. How did you get unity? And Well, I think the, uh, the um, exhibit designers mm -hmm. uh, were tapped into, they were basically... Uh, uh, pr production companies and they knew they would read and understand what uh, the Hall of Fame or the, the board of directors wanted to convey as an idea right and how it would, was going to be presented so it was yes it was a huge collaboration and it was uh, one of those kinds of projects where there were so many pieces that had to be coordinated that made it an extraordinary uh, experience Going from something like the Basketball Hall of Fame and, and some of the other projects to aviation, how did that move happen? An architect's career is a bit organic. And uh, because as an artist, which is, if, if you're in the design realm, uh, you, you're, you go after the opportunities that present themselves. Sure. And you say, well, I can do this. Uh, give me an opportunity. Yeah. And in fact, uh, Jay, who's the CEO, so he said to me, I'm going to throw you in here. Uh, you never did uh, a terminal. You never did aviation. And um, so for the last two years was my first aviation project. I did maybe one at LaGuardia when I was very young. But yeah. How has the experience been with the background of thinking about, you know, the performance spaces and, as you said, thinking about the people that inhabit the space, how is the experience? It's at JFK, correct? It's JFK. How does that experience been? Well, I think it's fantastic because what an opportunity. I, I've had some incredible opportunities to design projects, and this certainly is one of those shining examples. Uh, designing a terminal is like designing a city. Uh, there's so many aspects to it. There's employee areas, there's arrivals, there's, mm -hmm. and you have to think about what goes through the mind of people that actually think of all the anticipation of traveling, going yeah. somewhere, going into the sky. I mean, there's, there's a lot of poetry in this. Yeah. And uh, the grand gesture of an of a airport terminal 
is sort of like a Grand Central Station. It's, it's one of the great portals to every city now. So uh, what an opportunity. I can imagine there's a lot of interpretation that goes into it because it's, it's, you, you hear people talk about the passenger experience, but there's never just one passenger type. Correct. You get all these people that have a different background or different things that stress them out or different anxieties or different things that bring them joy. Correct. And you're trying to create a space that um, in, in some ways can kind of tap into the humanity of, of what a passenger or what a, a person is as they go through these airports. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, for JFK, first of all, being in New York City, yeah. uh, it's a high energy, uh, fantastic kind of place. And um, I think to create that excitement uh, is pretty easy to do. Uh, and it was certainly a challenge. Uh, but I think we accomplished that. Um, but again, I think thinking about it is creating these moments mm. in a terminal, which I would characterize like stage sets, places where things happen. Mm -hmm. And you create that envelope for those places to happen. Yeah. And that's so exciting to think about what that's like. That's amazing. So you told me that you, you've taught for a little bit. Is there, has that been something that you've been drawn to to be able to, I love to teach and pass that on? Oh yeah, teaching, so teaching's helped me mentor uh, people here, to work with young people. Um, but I think teaching is one of those wonderful things that uh, not only do you give, but you get. Mm. And uh, teaching for me was a fabulous experience um, in many, many dimensions. Uh, first of all, you have all of these little, uh, these little people that sort of come up to you like, you know, God, tell me something, <laughs> train me something. There's something endearing about it. But uh, I was able to create a program at Yale, at New Jersey School of Architecture, and uh, one other school, I think it was Columbia, where I created a design-build studio for incoming students, and it was recognized by the AIA, and we virtually had uh, teenagers, or people entering the program, design environments and build them out of boxes, like FedEx boxes. You're kidding. Yeah. And uh, they would draw them, they'd sketch them, they'd render them, and then they'd, a, a team, I would get a team of them together. And again, it was another like feeling of choreography where you had a group of people and you, you saw one person take charge yeah. and the rest of them like were the dance company and they went after these things and made these incredible environments. That's awesome. Yeah, it was pretty incredible. Um, do you still teach? Is that still something you'd want to do? I would love to teach, uh, given the... Uh, amount of energy and time that <laughs> sure. a job like this takes and multiple jobs. I mean, we have 35 people on this yeah. team. Um, not a lot of extra room for teaching. Uh, there's not much team, uh, time for teaching. Usually, um, teaching's its own business. Absolutely. So you either have to be uh, one of the star architects or you have to have your own practice. Yeah. But it doesn't really, you know, it's not a, it's not a uh, career but in terms of mentoring, I would imagine there's opportunities amongst the team of 35 for you to be able to, um, maybe not formally, but informally mentor and, and oh, yeah. pass on experience. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, what are some things that stand out while we're talking about JFK? What are some things that stand out about that project to you? Uh, what stands out about it is one big thing. It's mere size. It's... Mm. Um, 
I've done big buildings. I've never done anything quite as big as this. And unlike any other building type that I've ever worked on, it's a, um, as I said, it has, and I think you, you brought this up, it has every possible environment in it. It has places for employees. It has places for, um, you know, people coming from different parts of the world. Uh, it's a transient environment. It's the complete opposite of a house. Yeah. It's nobody feels particularly at home there. It's not a homey kind of place. It's high energy and a lot of activity, many emotions. It's a kind of fun thing to ch challenge yourself. It's a gateway. To. It's a gateway. Yeah. It's a gateway, and it's the gateway of all our cities right now. So. Is that, has that also been your biggest challenge with the project, is creating uh, a gateway that's... A challenge. What was the challenge? Uh, was, I'd say the biggest challenge was wrapping my head around the immensity of it, mm. of all the environments that you had to create, um, of learning aviation, not only language, but how it works, um, all the pieces and components. Um, but it's interesting, once you do one type of building, they all seem to gel back to one mm -hmm. common theme, which is how do you design this for people? Well, and it, I, you know, it's funny, I, I didn't know this until we started, you know, when, when I started with Corgan filming airports, how much happens behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. I mean, baggage systems, uh, utilities, all this stuff that are active work environments for hundreds of people that are working behind the scenes Correct. throughout the day. Correct. That I think a lot of focus is given to the passengers and rightfully so, but it seems like really successful and and um, great airports give uh, a huge amount of thought to the people that live there day in and day out. It's it's a good point. So projects like this, um, as I said, I've worked on a number of big ones. The the trick. Or not the trick, but the real success of them is to actually have multiple teams that focus on different parts of it, and you're like the empresario. You mm -hmm. sort of oversee them, and they're like your like your horn section and your wind section and your string section, and then and then the percussion. Yeah. And each one of them provides, and you you have one leader in each one of them. And they make sure that all gets done, and you sort of say, "Okay, this this works." But the obviously the most uh, challenging spaces are those, the ones that are out in your face. Yeah. And those are the ones that are spectacular and fun. So let's talk a little bit about you. Tell me mm -hmm. something that you do that has nothing to do with design. All right. So uh, you, you interviewed George uh, just before me. So George and I have a connection through an app called Strava. Okay. And uh, both of us are cyclists. Oh, okay. And uh, ever since I left the dance world, because I, I raised a family, uh, sounds like what you're doing, um, I no longer had the time. <laughs> so uh, what I would do is I'd take my kids to soccer, mm -hmm. and I'd have my buddies from the Y, and we'd say, hey, we got four hours, let's get in a <laughs> ride. And we'd go into the, so I, I raised my family in uh, Jersey. Mm -hmm even though I lived in Manhattan, New York City most of my life, uh, most of my time in New York. Uh, but um, we'd go out into the, I call it the sticks of New Jersey, <laughs> and we hit a ball. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm at, I mean, is that like, can you do that year round? Uh, 
I did it last weekend. It was pretty damn cold. Uh, when, I was, when I was a younger man, I used to ride right through the year. Did you really? Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Um, if you weren't an architect, what would you be? If I weren't an architect, that's a great question. I would definitely, definitely be in the arts. Mm. I, if I had the skills, I think I'd be a musician. What instrument? Uh, so uh, when I worked for Rafael Vignoli, he would go down into his office. Uh, no, he would come out and he'd you know, do his magic. And then at 12 o'clock, he'd go down into his room. And some actual recording musicians used to go down with him. And the entire studio was filled with the music from his piano playing. He had, mm. he had eight pianos. And, eight um, pianos? Eight really? pianos. Wow. And the main conference room was called the piano room because that was originally where he put his pianos. Um, but the beauty of the magic of his music was spectacular. And I would say when I used to watch him present, it was like watching, uh, watching Bolero, mm. the piece of music Bolero. Mm. He would start very slowly, very slowly, and then go into this crescendo. I mean, I used to see people, uh, a lot of the uh, faculty members falling asleep in the beginning of his, mm. uh, his little diatribes, and then he'd, he'd go into these crescendos. By that time, they were just drooling over the work. So it was, it was great working for some of these great architects. So it was piano with the instruments you'd probably I would love the piano because I love percussion. Mm -hmm. It goes along with dance. Mm -hmm. And it's a singular instrument that uh, can almost play like an orchestra because it has so much range and so many uh, opportunities to play things. What is it about being a designer and an architect that, you know, um, captivates you? Of all the jobs you could do, you know, why, why an architect? Why a designer? So, uh, you know, it's a very interesting question how a person ends up where they're doing, what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And as a young boy, I used to bury myself in my basement in Albany, New York. And I would develop, I would make these cities out of these Lionel train sets. Mm -hmm. And I would build model cars. And I think what happens is, I don't know what triggers a person to go into that realm of their personality. Yeah. But for me, it was creating things. Um, and the, it, it started from... You just had this intrinsic... I think I was eight years old. My mother was a, wanted to be an actress. Uh, my father made things. I said the formula, the formula was made, you know, yeah. the soup was made. Yeah. Uh, and I just fell into it. Following that, that love you have for teaching and mentoring, if, what, what, what's some advice that you would give, even particularly to some of the younger staff here, um, that you've learned over the, the diversity of your career? Okay, so I, I would step back from that question. So one thing you learn about teaching is that some, it's not really about architecture. It's about teaching people how to think. Mm. And that was the thing I learned at Buffalo from the School of Architecture, which uh, uh, we had Bucky Fuller on the staff. And so um, what, we, what we were taught was, we're not really training architects here. We're training people how to think about design. And so wherever that takes you, whether you design policy, whether you design salt makers, 
whether you design a, a script for a piece of music, it's a way of thinking. And so if you have that passion and you can see it in the studio, you can see, I would say within one to two weeks, you know those students that have that magic, you know, that have that mm -hmm. kind of, you know, you know that's from your own kids. You can almost see what they want to do, right? Yeah. My son wanted to play baseball. I, I couldn't stop him, you know? My daughter wanted to play soccer and be a dancer. She wanted to be a dancer. Both of them are basically the same kids they were when they were children, hmm. you know? The same, that, that root, that root uh, interest yeah. of what takes you where you want to go. So I would say, is there any advice to a young person? My advice is this, and it's a, one I tell my children, make sure whatever you do, it's something that you truly love because you're gonna be doing it a lot of hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that would be my advice. So if I were to give uh, people advice, no matter where it was, Corgan or anywhere, yeah. that would be my advice. Being a designer and, and having this huge appreciation for, for buildings, bicycles, music, are there other things that um, also you have that appreciation and passion for? Yeah, and I said it at the very beginning, so I'm gonna bring us back to there. Um, dance. Mm. To me, uh, I can go see ballet, uh, I can go see um, modern dance, but I particularly like um, those performances which really transcend um, you know, everyday living, mm -hmm. where they can touch your, they touch your heart. And it's an amazing thing, right? When you watch a performing arts, mm. uh, how do they do that? How did they get to my, how did they get to me like that? And uh, dance to me is the most uh, ethereal, sort of of the moment, uh, kind of deeply rooted in our existence. It's purely motion and bodies and music, right? There's no very. There's no words. Absolutely, and that's spectacular. There's you know it's it's crazy with with the culture that we have, and you know I'm I'm sure you you may have experienced this with my kids. Like you're always having to worry about the screen time, and there's digital screens everywhere, and um, and having that connection connection to something that is performance that is real, um, with music that is performed with dance, and you're able to experience it in a real space. There's something, I mean, not to repeat myself, but there's something real about that versus, oh, you yeah. know, so much other stuff that is around us. Oh, yeah. And I think uh, you hit it on the head, is that dance, it, I mean, if you think about it, a dance performance exists in time, right? right. It's, it's just it, a moment. It's a moment, yeah. right? And that's the difference between those two loves I had. Yeah. One is exist in that half hour, one hour slot, right. and it's gone and it's in your brain, right? Yeah. It's in your memory, and what, however, however it touched you. Yeah. Uh, a building just sits there. So what did they say? Uh, architecture is frozen music, right? right? I would say, Love that. yeah, it's, it, it's that for me, is those, that dichotomy of, of arts. I like that, that momentary kind of uh, existence of that creation. It's so, to me, it's, Fantastic. Barry, with your um, breadth of experience and your seniority uh, in the office, and you've got so many, you know, younger people around, um, I'm curious of two things, really. What it, 
what it what you see over the kind of the tenure of the years that you've had in the career and then how you think that informs the future I am with working with people side by side that are a generation and maybe more younger than me mm -hmm. and the interesting thing is to see how they think differently mm -hmm. and has been pointed out they're they're brought up in this digital world yeah I think what I have to share for them is to walk away from that digital world and it's going to that dance thing where instead of actually what a machine does and what people don't realize is that machines are basically robots right and you're instructing a robot what to do but what's the idea what what are your ideas mm -hmm. and that's what I try to bring up in these young people what's the idea and, and how are we going to get that to something real so it's it's interesting to see in these generations of people uh, how they come here with different skill sets but yet the same general ideas there which is you're making places for people to live in so even as as ideas and tools evolve you're still coming back to that why you start with that idea you start with the why uh, what did uh, Louis Kahn say what what does it want to be yeah what does it want to be that's always my first question when I start a project what does it want to be not not you know a lot of these architects start with a brief and it has square footages in it and it has requirements but nobody thinks of what does it want to be what's the poetry here what's right what's the song that you want to sing um, that to me is what I convey to the people I and you'll I think you'll find that most of these young people actually enjoy working with me because I bring that kind of excitement into the to the studio over your career going on 40 years, how have you seen elements of it change, whether it's clients, um, design, uh, how people think about design, particularly with buildings? Um, what, what are the changes that you've seen? Well, let me paint the picture for you. I started with uh, a little thing that you rolled around with your lead, pen, not <laughs> lead pencil plastic, and you sat down and you virtually put your your hands down on the on the on the paper or the plastic at right. the time, and you executed these things. They were dead once you hit it. In right. other words, all of the information was in your head. Right. What's changed dramatically? And I taught this when I first started teaching. I started teaching in 1987 at Columbia University, and what I taught was uh, was I was at the cutting edge of computer graphics, and what we taught were how to write and. I think it's why John Massey brought me into doing what he called make. Right. The make. Uh, I started writing code. Really? Yes. And what fascinated me about code was is you were taking ideas out of your brain. Right. And putting it into a program and having the computer Execute emulate what yeah. you were doing. And then what you start to think about it was, and it goes back to the dance again, is that you don't you no longer think of things as single movements but you think of them in phrases mm. so when these people are and I wouldn't say that so much with Revit but with a lot of the other programs that you can script you're virtually writing a kind of um, script that used to be that thing you used to just do with your hand and so that's one aspect of it the other aspect of it is the speed mm. So you'd probably look at a chart, you'd see the speed at which you can execute these immense projects has 
shrunk in yeah. the amount of people that you need to do it um, has changed quite a bit. Along with, I would imagine, the demands of the clients to get things oh, done. The, oh, the demands are, <laughs> are ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the challenges to the client is um, managing their expectations. Yeah. Uh, and I think uh, you do them a favor by doing that because if you prom overpromise and you're constantly giving them a lesser product. And I think the challenge here that I've seen is to increase the quality of the product. Yeah. And that's a, that's a critical thing that I've seen already. That's been the last 40 years. What do the next 40 years look like? So one of the missions of the Make uh, group, which I thought John was a, first of all, it's very interesting that John picked me for that one. Yeah. And I thought it was very smart. And I did tell him, I said, wow, that's, uh, you know, I didn't know. Don't tell him that. He doesn't even yeah. know that. No, I, I know. But, uh, but, you know, it was, it was clever. I mean, he yeah. figured it out. I don't know how he did it, but I said it was clever. And so I said to um, uh, Matt, I said, we're going to put this group together, but really, in, in the end of it, what you need is a vision statement. What, what are we doing now, but really, what's going to be happening in the next 40 years and, or next even 10 years? And so we're, that's one of the things that I'm working on is what, if you were to look in your crystal ball and say, where are we going to be? That, that's a great question. It, just a side point from that, um, Bucky Fuller had friends that were, they called them the futurists. And I have uh, some of my professors that were, were called futurists. And so we're in a generation where in fact, uh, you can predict well beyond your lifetime. Mm -hmm. And if you think of the difference of an existence only 50 years ago that you could oh yeah that you can you can think for example I'm working on a project now that'll uh, definitely outlive me and um, that's a pretty amazing thought right yeah. right that that thing is gonna go well beyond your lifetime and it's gonna evolve into something completely different um, I think that's a, a great question and hopefully we're gonna come up with some theories about it. Yeah, fair enough. To be continued. To be continued. Well, I can't think of a better place to leave it. Barry, thank you so much for, thank you for having, having this me. conversation. Thank you for joining us. If you want to learn more, make sure you check out in the description below and make sure to check out the next episode of The Square. Yeah.